Welcome to the Sweetness of Trial podcast and commentary. My name is Chuck Malone, and I am the author of the book, The Sweetness of Trial, a perspective to help you win, not just endure. Available in both paperback and Kindle on the Amazon book platform. Written by Charles P. Malone. Welcome to the Sweetness of Trial, Book, Reading, and Commentary. My name is Chuck Malone, and I am the author of the book, The Sweetness of Trial. Today's episode is Episode 6, Part 2, and includes pages 55 to 65, with the remaining five pages uh, as a short Part 4, depending on how much commentary I offer. So the, the title of part three asks a very profound question, and I quote, does all this experience work for our good? <laughs> well, the answer will hopefully create in you a, maybe a sliver more of patience and desire to understand the nature of your trial because of what is shared with you in this episode. So let's begin on page 55 with the title part three, Does all this experience work for our good? When you face adversity, you can be led to ask many questions. Some serve a useful purpose, others do not. To ask, why does this have to happen to me? And why do I have to suffer this now? What have I done to cause this? Will lead you into blind alleys, I promise. It does no good to ask questions that reflect opposition to the will of God. Rather ask, what am I to do? What am I to learn from this experience? And what am I to change? Who am I to help? How can I remember my many blessings in times of trial? Willing sacrifice of deeply held personal desires in favor of the will of God is very hard to do. Yet when you pray with real conviction, please, let me know thy will, and may thy will be done. Then you are in a stronger position to receive the maximum help for your loving Father in heaven. This life is an experience in profound trust. Trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in his teachings. Trust in our capacity as led by the Holy Spirit to obey those teachings for happiness now and for a purposeful, supremely happy, eternal existence. To trust means to obey willingly without knowing the end from the beginning. You'll find this in Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. To produce fruit, your trust in the Lord must be more powerful and enduring than your confidence in your own personal feelings and experience, quotes Richard G. Scott in Trust in the Lord, Ensign November 1995. Choices and trust are two eternal principles of truth that have an amazing influence on whom we become while on this earth. Even if we made correct choices most of the time, close to perfection, we would still have trial in our life. It is the right of agency that holds the key to the doorway of trial. Remember? But now factor in trust, as mentioned above by Elder Scott. 
Can you begin to see how developing trust in the Lord when trial strikes, putting your hand in his, knowing that he would not intentionally hurt you or give you more than you can handle, can aid in developing your ability to sort through the feelings and the hurt of trial and see more clearly the good that comes from the pain suffered. Trial doesn't always come as a result of our individual choices. Sometimes they come because of changes in society's thinking. <clears throat> I loved reading uh, the books written by Og Mandino. He had such a great talent for weaving a great storyline into his belief that every one of us is a miracle capable of accomplishing greatness by following universal laws of choice leading to abundance. On one such classic book, The Choice, is a story of a man caught up in climbing the corporate ladder at the expense of losing the closeness he once sought with his wife and children. He decides a choice. Before it is too late, to change course and pursue a writing career that will enable him to spend more time with his family and nourish those relationships before he loses them. The man moves his family to another part of the country and purchases a home with a lighthouse on the property. The man discovers the lighthouse was, at one time, the writing laboratory of a famous author. The story unfolds, leading the reader to consider that there is purpose to our eternal existence and that we all must make the best use of our time here on earth and discover what is inside us and follow those dreams so that we are not left with regret. I suppose some of us are a bit too rational just to pull off just to pull up and move our family to an eastern seaboard looking for a home with an adjoining lighthouse. But isn't it fun to dream anyway? But if earth life is about learning to become all we can while we possess this mortal body, why would we throttle back and settle for you fill in the blank? Let me speak to those of you who have reached the half century mark and above, like me, and ask the same question just raised. Why would we throttle back after having spent a half century or more developing experience, character, and skills which could act as a foundation to build upon over the next half century if we are blessed to live that long? In addition to his full-time employment as a manager of someone else's assets, my father spent his waking off hours filled with community service. He loved the sound of the gavel bringing a small fine to a meeting latecomer or cutting off the tie of someone not wearing the proper attire. He was tireless when it came to serving on boards and committees. He served for years as fire chief of our local volunteer fire department, escaping serious injury more than once. And over the years, he became accomplished professionally as a manager of men within the setting of the soft drink industry. Yet at age 68, my father hung up his spurs for the good life. He had worked long enough, he said. He was now ready to play. And play he did. He played golf. He played cards. He threw darts. He shuffleboarded and enjoyed the results of a lifetime spent working hard and smart. 
He had had enough of going to work every day. He said he just looked forward to retirement and to being released from the day-to-day grind which had driven him for so many years. While on the outside it may have seemed to be a blessing to him, I think on the inside he may have stopped growing and becoming, even in his older years when many stopped learning new things. But it was his choice, and he could financially support his new life, so on the outside he did seem happy. My father passed away four years later. I'm not against retirement. Please don't take the next few paragraphs as criticism if that's your goal in life or if you're currently retired, no matter your age. It is not my intention to judge what's best for others or pretend that just because I've written a book, I know everything. Hey, I don't. But let's consider for just a moment that there is a purpose to this life on earth. Beyond that of filling each waking hour with 60 minutes of distance run towards an imaginary finish line painted whatever color you wish. I'm not suggesting that you quit your job, move into a home on the eastern seaboard, and spend your remaining days climbing up to your writing laboratory, 200 steps to the top of the lighthouse, although that sounds so fascinating to me. But I am admitting that I, too, believe we are capable of miracles in our lives, either becoming the miracle or performing a miracle on behalf of others. I love playing with words, like the word retirement. I often quip, I'm already retired. I got tired after working until I was 65, and now I'm working again to become retired. (laughs) Okay, it's time to reach the point of all this chatter. There is choice, remember agency, in how you spend your quality time. If you're blessed with abundance in the form of currency and choose to spend your currency as my dad did, hurrah for you. Great job. Yes, I'm a little envious, but happy (laughs) that you get to travel the world and enjoy the fruits of your labors whenever you want. But this is a book about trial. And no matter how much currency you have stashed away or have recurring each month, you will still have trial in your life. Hello, welcome to planet Earth. And one day we'll all pass from this earthly experience into the next realm of immortal experience. And according to scripture, we'll be required to account for our time on Earth. How did we handle trial? What good did we accomplish on Earth? Did we develop the spiritual gifts and talents we were blessed with? The parable of the talents would be a great read. I'm certain there'll be many questions to answer in order to determine if our time on earth was well spent. Here's a scripture found in the Doctrine and Covenants that might give some direction to where we are headed in this section where all experience works for our good. And I quote, if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his or her diligence and obedience, I'll call that experience, than another, he or she will have so much advantage in the world to come. That's found in Doctrine and Covenants 130, verse uh, verse 19. It seems to me that there is a reason to believe that we will be judged by our Creator on how we use the sands of time on earth all of it. And if we are indeed a miracle, as Ogmandino believed, then shouldn't we use each day spent on earth trying to become that miracle? 
If earth life is for engaging and learning, for becoming all we can be, for continuing to grow and to be further refined through trial, shouldn't we still be anxiously engaged in good causes benefiting the lives of those around us? When we stop engaging ourselves from becoming all we can be, are we sending a signal to our body and mind that we have finished the course, that we have fought the good fight? So whenever you're ready to take the journey home is fine with me. <laughs> I have found that when a severe trial comes upon us, the best medicine to fortify ourselves during this trying time is to serve others. In so doing, we are becoming more like him. We are forgetting for a time our own hurts and wants in favor of another. Is this not fulfilling the spirit of the purpose of earth life? But what if society thinks differently about how we should be using our time after a certain age? I was a casualty of the 2007 to 2009 Great Recession. After recovering from the short-lived early 1900s recession and still another short recession of the early 2000s, I followed the needs of one of my clients, my real estate clients, to build retail properties on their vacant land, which led to a nice stretch of building travel centers across major freeway locations. My new business peaked when hired by the Hopi tribe of Northern Arizona to replicate a travel center I had designed and built along the I-17 freeway adjacent to Camp Verde. I was honored to be hired as their choice of developer and proceeded to spend the next two years planning, designing, and building a magnificent income base for the village of Moenkopi in Tuba City, Arizona. I was so focused on my commitment to the Hopi tribe that I barely noticed the destruction happening to the residential real estate industry that had formed the basis of my income since becoming licensed in 1971 and the designated broker of my own company, Malone Realty and Investments, LLC, in 1974. After completing the Tuba City project, and relaxing enough to open my eyes in search of my next project, what I found was like a scene from a horror movie. The demand for new real estate development had become almost non-existent due to the fallout of the residential market. Mortgage companies were on the brink of collapse and money for commercial lending evaporated. After 10 years of building yet another business due to the previous recession, my hopes and dreams sunk to a new low. I was back to square one. I woke up to the realization that all I knew was real estate and would need to reinvent myself if I was to continue providing for my family. Simple enough, you say? Well, let's factor in a new element into this reinvention of self called age. I was then 64 years of age, healthy, energetic, full of life, and still held a desire to continue learning. I first pursued anything related to my chosen field of real estate. I applied for real estate property management, working for a bank overseeing new construction, working for a local county or state government agency in some form of real estate. I even offered to be someone's executive assistance at a much reduced wage only to discover that for some unknown reason never explained, 
my resume or request for an interview never quite found its way to the person responsible for filling that position. Not that I wasn't qualified or didn't meet their standard set for new hires. It was as though I didn't even exist. I wasn't a blip on the screen of possible hires. I never secured one interview in all the months of trying. I sent out resumes, filled out website applications until I was blue in the face, attended job fairs, called HR department, stalked bank president, even hand-delivered and sent resumes by certified delivery, and still no interview. Not even a wonder what this guy's all about interview. So against all odds, I accepted a commission job selling credit card services for a nationally recognized company. <laughs> the person who hired me was a friend and territory manager of the company and actually a, a client of my real estate business. I sent, spent nine months learning a new industry, knocking on doors every day, just like I'd done when I started my career in real estate. But instead of doubling my income as I had done in my real estate business, my nine months in the credit card industry tallied a whopping $4,000 for my efforts. And when upper management found out that I'd taken a part-time summer job coordinating gas station repairs by phone just to pay my mortgage, I was terminated. <laughs> can, can a person really be terminated from a commission only, no expense to the company job? <laughs> So where is this going, you ask? Well, I cannot begin to imagine the pain and suffering imposed upon those of a different skin color while society was growing up and still growing up. To be refused a table at a local restaurant because of skin color was unimaginable. However, society's mindset has changed significantly over time through the efforts of those willing to fight for that cause they believed in, such as the late Dr. Martin Luther King and other notable freedom fighters. But I was experiencing a similar but very silent and undisclosed prejudice imposed by society while trying to find work. Yes, I speak of the prejudice of age or more commonly known today as age discrimination. Although in the last few pages, we pretty much wore out the question of what we should do with our lives as we age, society has determined for us that after a certain age, we should stop working and enter a phase of life called, yep, here it is again, the R word, retirement. I'm sorry. I found myself facing a mountain that I could not even see over, let alone begin to climb. It was not my choice to retire, but even if I had wanted to, my financial source of retirement had once again been removed through no fault of my own. The roadway to life is never straight. It is more like the word straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, used in scripture when referencing the roadway to heaven, or as shown in vision to the prophet Lehi in the Book of Mormon. It is not that writers of recorded scripture could not spell straight correctly by using the word S-T-R-A-I-T, which is defined as a narrow passage of water connecting two seas uh, with a... With a um, piece of land, I think is what that's referring to. Um, 
the writers knew from experience that the narrower the passage of water is, the more turbulent and difficult it was to traverse, such as the covenant path leading to eternal life and exaltation. It is neither straight, the common straight, nor narrow in terms of being a brass template for salvation. The path will be strewn with curves and dips, twists, and other surprises meant to shape and polish us into becoming our best self. The covenant path is not narrow if you consider the many types and shapes of persons who are making their way along it toward eternal life. It is his work and his glory to bring to pass the exaltation and eternal life of all his children. We can all fit on the covenant path. It is through the personal refinement offered in trial that we become polished to become as a holy instrument in the hands of God. The challenge with this statement of refinement is that during the process, we don't really see where this is going or whom we are becoming until we are way down the road and just happen to look back to where we had just come. And that brings to mind another story, I'm sorry, the parable of the severed guitar finger. Do you remember my love of ice cream leading to my purchase of an ice cream restaurant? What I didn't relate is how a mindless second of curiosity placed my index finger inside a cylinder shaft that used a piston to push the soft ice cream into the dispensing machine. Before my finger was able to pluck out the grease drop that had formed on top of the cylinder, the piston engaged into the cylinder with my finger in the way. It was an exercise of agency, timing, and choice that led to my finger being in the shaft at the exact time the piston engaged to shove air into the line and my finger was severed. I had loved the guitar ever since the days of the Beatles' appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show in the 1960s. I had no natural talent. But I taught myself a few chords and soon was making music. I hit my peak as a college student entertaining the audience out front while the rest of the university traveling choir changed their attire for the next step. As I grew older, the guitar became a part of our weekly family home evenings as my wife and I encouraged our children to discover their own musical talents. In time, I played well enough to be some background support when not beating out the rhythm as a drummer. <laughs> Having my finger severed put a temporary end to my guitar playing. My surgeon did an amazing job of keeping my finger intact, but it was stiff and it would not bend over the guitar neck to finger the frets, no matter how hard I tried, but I kept at it, massaging and straightening and exercising, pushing and pulling and working at it, until years later, it began to loosen. It's still not where I want it, and it never will be without additional reconstructive surgery. But I did keep at it until I was able to regain some basic movement, which still allows me to play a little bit for fun. Now my hand is arthritic today, and when I point, my severed finger sort of points around the corner often drawing friendly laughter from observers. But it is who I am now. It's part of the distance run spoken about in Rudyard Kipling's If. 
It is being a participant and not just a spectator in the ring of life, which produces character in each one of us. I see myself years from now, perhaps looking a little like John Wayne, also known as Rooster Cogburn, the famous marshal in True Grit. Now there was a man fully enveloped in character. I hope not to be as colorful in manners and speech as Marshall Cogburn, but there was no doubt that man had gone the distance and in the end was willing to go against all odds to stand up for what he believed. My choice of career paths has given me a perspective that only comes from living and losing and gaining again. It is said that life's lessons are not fully learned during times of peace and prosperity, but during times of challenge and often defeat. I can look back on at least three financial cycles which have taken away all the personally owned grain stored in the barn, only to be filled up again as the cycle of prosperity returned. Now, however, the cycle of prosperity has a new speed bump called age. This new trial produces new challenges, but also new opportunities for growth. Society would tell us to stop dreaming and accept the fact that we are too old for dreams to come true. If you have to work to support yourself, put your application in at McDonald's or Walmart and learn to bridle your aspirations society tells us. But the next segment of this episode is entitled, But What If You Choose Not To? I hope that you'll return with me so that we can engage in part four and kind of discuss so what if I want to go against society and just keep keeping on? I love that. And that, again, I apologize. I'm not trying to offend anybody that's retired. I merely want us all to do our very best. And I'm sure in retirement, you will find things that I will never get to do because you chose that course of life to inspire your uh, legacy and to continue to chart your course in fighting the good fight and doing all that you can do. There's so much to do, my brothers and sisters, without just working 24-7. So I hope that this episode has given you a little bit of thought towards this choice and towards becoming and how to overcome adversity, and how to deal with it. It's all going to be there. So let's uh, end this section now, and I'll see you on the other side when we start. But what if you choose not to? Thank you so much for checking in and listening to this podcast. Uh, Remember that you can order the Sweetness of Trial book from Amazon.com from their book section. Search for the book uh, by title and then add uh, by Charles P. Malone. Or you could go to my Facebook.com forward slash 
I just write it and scroll to the post that has the links to my current and future books and this podcast. So go to facebook.com forward slash I just write it, all one word, and uh, that should take you to uh, to that uh, section uh, of Facebook. Thank you so much. My friends, thank you so much for spending your time with me today in discussing the sweetness of trial. Please join me in future episodes as we learn how to not only endure trial, but to win from it as we continue our journey through my book, The Sweetness of Trial.